Okay, it's very important firstly to, 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 to recognize that prior to Fees Must Fall, which was the popular uprising of thousands of students, there was a smaller uh, group of students across the country, uh, starting with Roads Must Fall in March 2015, that came together around the issue of feeling alienated mostly from historically white institutions. So black students, both rich and poor, feeling like the institutions they were at do not welcome them, that they don't feel comfortable there, that these institutions um, are racist, that um, they don't have lecturers that look like them, they feel that they need to assimilate or get as close to whiteness as possible to feel comfortable, otherwise feel quite alienated from the context. So Roads Must Fall starts around the issue of a statue and naming of buildings, in other words the symbolic um, messages that you're sending students and people by the statues that you have, uh, the pictures on the art on the wall and the names of buildings. Very quickly, in March still, Roads Must Fall, um, through an occupation, uh, gets a mission statement that is actually quite expensive. Uh, access in terms of fees is one of the questions, but for example, ending the dehumanizing practice of outsourcing is also a demand. Um, it's the, the question of decolonization is put centrally, and what this does is challenge the rhetoric or uh, the program of transformation, which has been a government program, but which has also been very easily taken up by the corporate sector, for example, um, where you literally have what students start to describe as slow incremental change that is actually not dealing with the structures of colonialism that largely sit in place, even now, even though we now have more black faces who are at the helm of that particular ship. So students at, at, Ro, at uh, UCT, and this quickly moves to Rhodes University through the black um, student movement, NMMU, the Black Student Stockfell, UP has UP Rising, Northwest University has Reform Tuck, at WITS and UJ we have October 6 and Transform WITS. So you have a black-led student movement which is national, which is critiquing the, the slow process of, of change under the, the rubric and concept of transformation and they say we no longer want to talk about transformation, we want to talk about decolonization and the reason we want to do that is because we no longer believe that you simply can um, slowly change these both government and university institutions uh, for because people, the inequality is, is severe. Then in October, five or six months later, you have a much more popular uprising around an issue that students have always, under apartheid and post-apartheid, struggled with, the first step of access. I need to be able to get there, but I can't afford it. And for black students, this has been a problem because education has been largely under-resourced for black mm. students. Post-apartheid, if you look, we, we, we still have a, a differential between historically white institutions and historically black ones. And a simple way of looking at this is saying, I mean, why is it that the University of Pretoria can say very quickly we will do insourcing no problem? Well, because they have reserves. Where do those reserves come from? Well, it comes from the fact that some people benefited from apartheid. I mean, Wits, other places, UWC, Fort Hare, they don't have the same kind of reserves. So the, the, the pressure to be able to make so-called radical or different decisions are different depending on the financial situation of universities. So we must remember... This started as a black-led student movement around questions of alienation and, and under the guise or concept of decolonization, which is a deeper structural change, not simply one or two black professors and a few more students, black students coming in, actually looking at curriculum, 
looking at symbols, looking at staffing, looking at the workers that work on campus, how are we treating them, etc. Then we have this popular uprising in October. What is also significant to note is that the Black-led student movement attempts to be largely nonpartisan. Um, the FISMAS4 movement brings uh, student political parties into the, the fray. So at some universities, you have a black-led student movement working alongside a FISMAS4 movement, which incorporates uh, political student organizations as well and is much more mass-based. Mm. But was there a roadmap at any point? Did we ever settle on a roadmap that said, this is how we are going to go about achieving uh, what the protests were all about? So uh, at the different universities prior to FISMAS fall, um, these student movements have mission statements. And if you look at them closely, they are very clear about what people are fighting for. So if you are at a Northwest University, for example, the racism there, I went there a couple of months ago, it's shocking. Um, as a black student to walk on that campus, you feel it's even it's it's much different to Stellenbosch and, and some of the other institutions. You go to Stellenbosch and UP, the language question is really central. You go to UWC, uh, resources is is a challenge. So every institution and the student movement there have slightly different demands. Mm. But the thing that came out clearly and 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 a lot of people forget that the demands that uh, students could organize around was. Um, the fact that the, we wanted, we want still free quality education for all, and and many people report on um, only higher education, but student movements have been saying, well, actually, we have to look at primary and secondary too. We can't just be exclusive because we understand ourselves as university students to be elite. The the the, the demand of ending outsourcing was always there. Um, the demand that said we need to end debt. This has been there and people have been organizing around it. The media has picked up on the on the key thing because FISMAS fall was the hashtag. And so we focus only on that. But if you look closely, you'll see that people, uh, students did very explicitly um, extend those demands. On the Northwest University Portistown campus, unfortunately, very, very little. Right. So the problem with the Northwest University Portistown campus, and is the one I think like is allowed to exacerbate and continue to exist, is because there's very little media attention in what happens in Portistown. Because in Portistown, you happen to be on a university campus in South Africa in 2016, which is 70% white Afrikaners, and everybody seems to think that's fine and that's normal. So the issue of something as simple as language and access to like the same level and quality of education is very big for the black students on this campus. And that was kind of one of the really big um, reasons, like a rallying point for like the small number of black students on our campus of demanding that we also get an education in the language in which we understand the current system to get education through interpreting services, right? Those are... And for years we've been talking about like how ineffective they are, how like sometimes physically like uncomfortable they are, right? Not even going into like the specific culture of exclusion on our campus, like through language, through like socially, like through like blatant racism that happens on our campus. And this was one of the key things that we as um reform book organized ourselves around um, and that was kind of one of the things that we aim to do, just in terms of also trying to provide, like, finally providing a safe space for black students on campus, right? And 
after everything that has happened, especially when those were kind of our big rallying things as black students on the Northwest camp on the Northwest University Fortison campus, very little has changed. So a lot was said about like implementing a new policy and new classes coming up in English or whatever. But it's literally resulted, I think, in the increase of barely 3% of the more than 200 and something courses that are provided on our university take, finally taking place in English, right? So we keep being told that transformation is coming and um, new language policy or new what university model, whatever, are, are, are happening. But like on the ground, every day, tangibly, in and among students, like nothing is happening. Like majority of the... Um, the classes are still in Afrikaans. Majority of the black students still have to receive classes through interpreting services. Majority of the social and cultural programs that take place on, on our campus still happen exclusively in Afrikaans, which means majority of the black students on campus are still excluded. So there hasn't really been a tangible change in terms of that, right? But also, when it comes to like the financial exclusion part, that hasn't changed at all. Like, in the beginning of the year, in January, we faced the same problem as we did with people who didn't have enough money. I think the minimum required for our university was around seven or 8,000 rand, where people didn't have that minimum requirement amount to be able to, to, to pay so that they could be able to just register, let alone be able to pay like tuition for the rest of the year. So uh, for the most part, for the average black student on this campus, very little has changed. You still go to a campus in which you are excluded socially um, um, by language. You still go to a campus in which, like, at any day now, because around this time last year, student cards um, for students who hadn't paid a specific portion of their tertiary fees were blocked. So basically most of us are walking around campus waiting for the day our student cards get blocked again so that that can also be something that we know will inevitably happen on this campus again. So very little has changed on the Northwest University Portrait Stone campus.